We have been in the book of Jude for the last few weeks. If you are not familiar with where that is, go to the very last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation, and go back one book and you will be right there in Jude. It's real easy to miss because it's only one chapter. And so uh, as we are in the book of Jude, I just want to remind you a little bit of what we... Hold on just a moment... Uh, I want to remind you of where we have been in the book of Jude. Uh, remember, Jude felt an urgent need to write to uh, the Christian church. And we, whenever we, we open up the book of Jude, when he begins uh, introducing his book, he says, I wanted to write to you about salvation, but I felt an urgent need to write to you about something else. And so the overall message in the book of Jude is to challenge and to encourage believers to be contenders of the faith. He says, contend for the faith. He is telling believers to contend for the truth, to contend for the gospel as they had already heard it, the gospel that had been preached to them. And so he, he begins uh, making his case. He, he begins telling them, to be contenders. And the reason why he's telling them to be contenders is because, because there were a lot of false teachers that had, had, had risen up in those days that were uh, being listened to and heard and they were influencing many. These people, these false teachers were people who publicly identified themselves as followers of Christ but then would teach ungodly doctrine. They would distort the message of God. And what was happening is people were being led astray. So Jude says, be contenders of the faith. And then he begins making his case by reminding some of the, uh, some of the well, reminding his readers, his Jewish readers, of some of the lessons from their past. He uses three examples to show us and to demonstrate to them how dangerous it is to reject the Lord, to walk apart from the way of God. And last week we talked about the first two. In uh, this week, as the late Paul Harvey would say, this is the rest of the story. And so we're going to start in verse 5. We read that last week, but in order to have full context... We want to read verse 5 and we'll end with verse 7 right here in the book of Jude. And then we're going to talk about it just a little bit. Here we are. Book of Jude, starting in verse 5. Now I want to remind you, though you know all these things, the Lord first saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And he is kept with eternal chains in darkness for the judgment of the great day. The angels who did not keep their own position but desired, but deserted their proper dwelling. And in the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as the angels did, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Father, we pray that this morning you would help us to learn the lessons from those who have failed. Father, help us learn these lessons from the fake and the fallen 
the flagrant as well. And Father, help us learn from the free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about the fake and the fall, and I want to just remind you who they are, because all this kind of goes together, um, and, and of course we went into much greater detail last week, uh, but I want to remind you of, of uh, the, the fake and the fallen as we transition into talking about the flagrant and the free. Uh, Jude wanted believers to understand the dangers of falling under the influence of people like these fake and like the fallen and like the flagrant. He, he cautions them from falling into, uh, into to living that kind of attitude, the kind of attitudes that they have. Verse 5, Jude says, I want to remind you. I want to remind you. These are things they already knew. He reminds them of these examples of the past to illustrate to them what happens to those who reject God's commands and purpose. Example number one we talked about was the fake. Who are the fake? The fake are the people who call themselves Christians, yet willingly and unapologetically live in habitual sin that contradicts the character commands and the word of God. Now this, the fake, that can include also people as part of living in that habitual sin that could also include teaching doctrine that is not consistent with the word of God. Of God. Someone asked me last week, can you give me some examples of who would be in the category of the fake? The fake would be false converts, both people who are aware in that, in that they know that they're not believers, that they know they really don't believe in Jesus. They're just pretending for some, and because of some nefarious motive, some evil motive, but also some that are unaware that maybe they. They are just convinced that, that, that they are believers, but truly, when, if they were gut-level honest and when they read Scripture, they would see that they've never really trusted in Jesus. They've never really repented of sin. They've just maybe been going through the motions. Maybe they've been confused by the religion instead of the relationship. These are people who could be in the fake category. Other people who could be in the fake category would be believers who propagate unbiblical teaching. So it's not that they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, but, but some people have been deceived and because of that deception, they propagate this thing they think is a truth, but that really is a lie. Does that make sense? So, so they themselves have been deceived by some of the some of the doctrines and some of the teachings under the heading of, you know, that they've trusted in Jesus. They believe he died on a cross for their sins, but, but somewhere in their discipleship, they have been discipled to believe things that just are not so. These could be in the category of the fake as well. Recently, I saw a commercial for a documentary that uh, is dealing with some of the issues around a, a cult, a modern cult that has been in the news over the last couple years. And, and uh, the documentary, I don't know anything about it. I haven't watched it. I, I don't know what's in it, so I'm not promoting it. But, but something stood out to me in the commercial. It was explaining how so many people easily get involved in these cults. And in the commercial, someone says, nobody joins a cult. They join something that is good. 
Now, while I would say there probably are people who actually willingly join cults because they have been led astray by the evil one, there are a large amount of people in this world who get sucked into these cults and these these Christian-like organizations or these spiritual-like organizations that teach and do ungodly things and believe in ungodly principles and ungodly doctrines, but they do not, many of them, understand that the things that the, uh, the organization is involved in, the things they're teaching are ungodly or evil. They think they're good, so then they get involved in it. So... That stood out to me. He says, no one joins a cult. They join something that is good. Why? Because they've been deceived. Also, some people that could be in that fake category might just be immature believers, believers who have just not been discipled at all. Maybe they've come to Christ. Maybe they've uh, given their heart to Christ, but a, a local church is not... Uh, come along beside them to invest in them and teach them the principles of God. And so anything that's out there that, that has the word God on it, they're like, well, you know, that must be something that I need to know and I need to understand. I had a friend uh, years ago uh, when we were in Mississippi who was a new believer and he was so hungry for the Word of God, he would go to the library, he would, he would check out all these books, and he would come to me with some of the strangest questions, and I would say, Brother, where did you get that? And he'd show me the book, and I'd say, No wonder. But he did not know how to discern the difference because he was still immature in his faith. All of these people can, can, can fall into this category that Jude is talking about. Uh, these people that, that, have been, uh, that have been deceived. But what, really what Jude is talking about, not just of those that are deceived, but he's really talking about those who are willingly deceiving others. That, that's really the fake people that Jude is really getting at here. Those who are willingly teaching things that are that they know to be not consistent with the scripture so he gives example number one he says don't be like those people don't let them influence you is what he said you don't want to fall into that category example two he talks about the fallen the fallen were the fallen angels that were cast out of heaven along with lucifer because they joined in his effort to rebel against god so we talked about that. We spent a lot of time talking about that last week. Remember, we said that angels are intelligent creatures capable of moral choices who exist to obey God's command and carry out His instructions. And so some of the things they do, they do some things on earth that God tells them to do. If God gives them a task to accomplish on earth, then they carry it out. They carry out God's will in heaven and on earth. They exist to glorify him. But I want to point out, we didn't talk about this last week, I want to point out some similarities and some differences between 
angels and humanity so that you can understand where we are going here. Number one, there are some similarities between the angels and, and, and the humans in that both the angels and, and humanity originally were created without sin, okay? When God created the angels, he created them with a purpose, and, and they, in the beginning, were following after the purposes of God. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them with a purpose, and in the beginning, before the fall, they were following after the purposes of God. Nobody had sinned. They both were created for God's purpose, and they were both created with what we call moral agency, which means that they have the ability to make moral judgments and moral choices based on, uh, based on an idea of what is good or evil. And they are, because they have moral agency, they are both uh, accountable for their actions, their moral or immoral actions. And so we see these in Scripture. I want to point out some differences, though, two big differences. Um, some key differences is that angels are not created to marry. Uh, they, they are not created to marry. We know that in the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking about uh, whether or not p people will be married in heaven. And he says, you will not be married or given in marriage in heaven like the angels. You're going to be like the angels. And so we know that, that angels are, are, are not to marry. And then also, as you read scripture, it becomes, becomes pretty obvious that, that, that angels are not able to procreate or to reproduce the way that humanity is able to do. And one of the things we see when we read scripture is that angels can appear in the form of humans. They can present themselves in human form, but they are not human. And this is important to understand because of what Jude says in verse 6, he says, And the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling. Now many assume that Jude is talking about, in verse 6 here, that Jude's talking about the fall from heaven. And, and I think that is part of what Jude is talking about. But a deeper study shows that Jude was talking about something that actually happened after the fall. See, Genesis chapter 6 Verses 1 and 2 tells us a little bit about it. It says, When mankind began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. It's important to note also, to just set that aside for a second, and and let you know that as we go into verses 14 and 15, and we'll look deeper at it when we get, get there here in a few weeks, but in verses 14 and 15, Jude quotes word for word an extra-biblical text called the book of Enoch. Now, you say, what does it mean that it's extra-biblical? It means that it's a text that is not part of the canon of authoritative Scripture. This is not all Scripture is God-breathed in the book of Enoch, and that is authoritative. It's not on the same level spiritually as the Bible, but that does not mean that certain perspectives in the book of Enoch may not be correct and Jude quotes it word for word. And so 
while it may not be authoritative scripture, it provides historical context. You say, well, well, well how, how, put this together for me. Let's, let, let's take Genesis 6 and let's put it together with what Jude is saying and how he references the book of Enoch and does not correct it as if it were wrong, but he cites it as something that is common knowledge that they all knew and believed. You see, in those days, the book of Enoch uh, and, and because of the book of, of, of Genesis, Jewish theology about fallen angels taught that there were a group of angels who after the fall, they came to earth. And when they came to earth, they abandoned their created purpose. It says they abandoned their proper sphere, came to earth. Of course, that was due to the fall. But then while they, after they abandoned their created purpose, when they came to the earth, they altered their natural and created form. It says that they, they took the form of a male. I believe, I believe, there's a lot of theories about this, and this is just Jason's, this is just my analysis, and many people agree with this, although there is debate, but I think that they took the form of a male in the by, by way of demon possession, that they came, we see demon possession, by the way, all throughout the New Testament, and I believe that when they fell from heaven, uh, they decided they began to have desires for the daughters of men, and so they took possession through demon possession of male bodies, altering their nat. They were not created to marry, they were not created to procreate, but they altered their natural and created form, and then they adopted an unnatural and ungodly existence, okay? And you say, How do they do that? Well, if they, if they possessed a male body and then controlled that body and married human women and produced offspring and children with them, they were adopting an unnatural. This is not what they were created to do. This is not who they were created to be. An unnatural and ungodly existence. They had physical relations with women which are exclusively reserved for a man and a woman who are married. The offspring produced from those unnatural relationships are the Nephilim mentioned in Genesis 6. So they abandoned their created purpose. They altered their natural created form. They adopted an unnatural, ungodly existence. And in so doing, through generations, they assembled an ungodly culture. Jude 15 is referring to this when he, he quotes and he says to convict all who are ungodly. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, when the, Lord, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all of the time, that's when he decided to judge the earth. That's what led to the global flood. That's what led to the destruction of everyone on the face of the earth, all except for eight people. And so here's the point of what Jude is getting at by referencing this particular story about something that some angels did after, some demons, some fallen angels did after the fall. He's, he's, he's trying to help us understand that the unnatural and deviant behavior of these fallen angels led to their punishment and caused the extinction of all those who followed their example. 
This is the point that Jude is making in verse 6. The fall, the, the disdain of the fallen angels for the will of God and the disregard for God's created order led to great destruction. But that's verse 6. <laughs> now we got to get to verse 7. Because Jude cites another example, yet another example from Israel's past. Except this time he's not talking about the disdain by the fallen angels. He's talking about a flagrant disregard for the created order and, and God's purpose. A flagrant national sin of, of, of entire cultures of humanity. He's talking about what we are calling this morning the flagrant in verse 7. So who are the flagrant? The flagrant are people who pridefully participate in behavior that is unmistakably evil in the eyes of God. People who pridefully participate. It's one thing if, if, if you're in sin and you're convicted of sin, you're like, man, I've got to figure out how to not do this. But when you're like, hey, I don't care. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. That's very flagrant. People who pridefully participate in behavior that's unmistakably evil in the eyes of God. Notice how he ties together verses 6 and 7. Verses 6, these angels that had unnatural relationships with these women. Likewise, he says. Sort of ties them together. And just like those, those angels in those unnatural relationships they had with those women. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah. In the surrounding towns, there were three other towns that surrounded that. It was, a, it, was a, it was a fertile plain area at that time. He says they serve an of, of, as an example by undergoing the punishment of the eternal fire. See, 4,000 years ago, Sodom and Gomorrah were part of this region of, of, of five cities. And if you go there today, it's in Israel where Sodom and Gomorrah were. If you go there today, it is a dry and desert land. But scientists and archaeologists and historians and the Bible tell us that about 4,000 years ago, Sodom and Gomorrah were, were part of a fruitful land that it was flowing with fresh water that flowed into the Dead Sea, and they had enough, uh, uh, enough water and enough nourishment to sustain uh, a, a very thriving, uh, uh, thriving crops and thriving livestock. They could go there and grow things and raise their animals and do their trade. It was a great place to be. 4,000 years ago, just, it, was just, it, was, it was just great for those things. But Scripture tells us that the people of those cities were very successful. And in their success, they became very prideful. And somewhere in all of that success and all of that pride as a culture, they fell into great sin. Now, we don't know all of the sins, and I am sure that there are many sins that we could trace back to Sodom and Gomorrah, but Scripture specifically mentions two. Number one, in Ezekiel, it tells us that they neglected the poor. It's what we call a sin of omission. That's when you're supposed to do something like take care of the poor, practice charity, love your neighbor, 
But they kind of omitted that in their pride. They neglected. They weren't really, they weren't really concerned about others. They were just concerned about themselves, right? But then the second thing. Scripture tells us that they practiced unnatural and deviant physical relationships. That's what we call the sin of commission. This is where you do something that is specifically lined out as being wrong. The Bible says, thou shalt not lie. Okay, well, if you lie, then you are committing an offense. And so, much like the angels, as you study Sodom and Gomorrah, you see that much like the angels, the, uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah abandoned their created purpose. We have reason to believe that at times they may have altered their natural or created form to make themselves appear to be something they were not. They adopted, and we see this very clearly all throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament and New Testament, that they adopted an ungodly and unnatural existence. And in so doing, they participated in building or assimilating a godless culture. It says specifically that the culture was ungodly. And to take it a step further, they were proud of it. They were proud of that. They, 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 they made the mistake of confusing worldly success with spiritual progress. I don't know if you remember, we talked about that a few months ago about how people that are foolish and unwise, they make the mistake of looking around and thinking, well, things for me are going successfully in the eyes of the world and by the standards of man, that they assume that by the standards of God, that they are in the same place. They see the people of Sodom and Gomorrah made the mistake of confusing worldly success with spiritual progress. So because God is just and because, as Scripture tells us, God will not let the guilty go unpunished, Genesis 19 tells us that God sent some of his good angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. And uh, Genesis, I believe it's 19, verses 24 through 25, it tells us, then out of the sky the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. Verse 25, he demolished these cities and the, the entire plain, all of the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. And if you go to Israel today, you can see the evidence of this great destruction. You know, for many years, scholars and archaeologists have presumed that what destroyed the area of Sodom and Gomorrah some 4,000 years ago and changed really uh, the, the, not the climate, but changed the, the landscape there, um, they've presumed that it was an earthquake just because of, of, of uh, you know, where the cities are. But new research suggests that flaming meteorites may have had something to do with the devastation. Trinity, Trinity Southwest University in Albuquerque uh, have been, uh, they've been excavating the site and according to an article published by Forbes in 2018, this is, what it, this is just one quote from the article, it's not on the board, but let me say this, it says samples from the site 
show that extremely hot, explos uh, that an extremely hot and explosive event leveled an area of almost 200 square miles. And the timeline for the event, about 4,000 years ago. And that's meteorites. And the Bible says that God rained fire from the sky. Man, I don't know if, if that just blows you away like that blows me away. I, I, you know, for all these years, it's interesting that, that so many people try to say, well, the Bible can't be right because we think this and we think that. And then you just give them a little time and suddenly they uncover a little bit more and suddenly they don't think things quite the same. And suddenly the accurate historical archaeological record is, is lining up parallel with what Scripture has been telling us for thousands of years. You say, okay, well, let's get back to the fake and the fallen and the flagrant. What does that have to do with me? Jude is warning believers. Listen, he's warning believers not to be deceived by the false teachers of his day. It reminds me of something Rick Warren said. This, this won't be on the board, but Rick Warren said, a lie doesn't become truth. Wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. Just because the culture embraces it doesn't make it okay, whatever it is. And he uses these three examples to show us the danger of cultural sin. They're not examples of individual sin. These are entire cultures both of earthly creatures and spiritual creatures who disregarded God's created order and purpose. And when they did, they were rightly judged by the righteous judge. Judas saying, folks, he's saying, I've already seen this movie. And you're not going to like the way that it ends. Do not fall into the trap of being influenced by these people who say that they love Jesus and then teach things that are blatantly against the will of God. Just don't fall into the same trap that these people fall into. He's saying, learn about it so you can learn from it. He says, this is your history. This is why you need to understand your history so you can learn about what happened. Take those lessons and don't fall into the same traps that they fell into. But you know, there's another group that we could learn from. We've been talking about the fake. We've been talking about the fallen. We've been talking about the flagrant and how we, don't, we need to learn from their mistakes, not fall into their mistakes. But there is another group that we can learn from, and that is the free. See, we can learn from the free. If you remember, last week we, turned, we talked about the generation liberated from Egypt and the Exodus generation who God brought out of Egypt and, and how they, most of them, most of them did not get to cross into the promised land, okay? And the difference was, the, the difference between being on the wrong side of the promised land and the right side of the promised land was the difference of belief and disbelief. There were some who said 
I believe in God, I'm following God, but we see by their actions that what was inside was not as real as they would have liked us to believe that it was. And scripture tells us that almost that entire generation of people died before they crossed into the promised land, but there were a few like Caleb and like Joshua that wandered in the desert just like everyone else. But the difference between, between being on the right side of the promised land and the wrong side was their belief. They were the ones, people like Caleb and Joshua, who, who believed in the promises of God that when God said, go and take the promised land, they were ready to go even though they found a bunch of giants. They trusted God. Why did they trust God? Because deep down in their heart, they truly believed in God. They stood on the promises of God. A few that believed in the power of God to overcome the obstacles they faced. A few that trusted God above everything else. Jude says, contend for the faith for the relevance of the gospel, and for the truth of the gospel message, and for the word of God. Don't be, don't be like the, the fake, the fallen, and the flagrant. Be like the free. <laughs> Folks, if you're being honest this morning, I, I wonder which one of those four categories would you most identify with in your personal life? The fake? The fallen, the flagrant, or the free. Scripture tells us that humanity was created in the image of God. Now, God, now people get confused about this because you can see evidence of God's hand in all of creation. God is evidenced in all of creation, but Scripture tells us that God specifically created humanity in his image. That means the animals were not created in his image. The trees were not created in his image. And the angels were not created in his image. Not fully. But you, you were created in the image of God. Human life is sacred. That's what scripture teaches us. Your life is sacred. Your life is special. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter of what, they, what, what, what the sociologists would call your socioeconomic background. It's like the old song says about all the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. You are precious in his sight. Scripture teaches us that when sin entered into the world, that, that although humanity was an image bearer, when sin entered into the world, that image was distorted. And it's sin that prevents us from being a proper bearer of the image of God today. Scripture tells us that, that it's Jesus that came, and Jesus was a 
perfect representation of the image of God. As John says, he was God in the flesh. He did what we could not do to offer to us what no one else can, which is the restoration of God's image, which is connecting us with our created purpose, which is redemption in the eyes and in the, within the relationship that we have with our Creator. And all that begins when you received Christ through faith. Scripture teaches us that if you would repent of your sins, receive Jesus through faith and resolve to serve Him, Scripture says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you can be saved. So what's, this, what's all this mean, Pastor? Listen, we are living in a world where pop culture is encouraging people to abandon their created purpose, to alter na their natural and created form, to adopt an ungodly existence, and to an as assemble into an increasingly ungodly culture. And it shouldn't come as any shock. That's exactly what the enemy of God wanted the fallen angels to do. That's exactly what the enemy of God led the people in Sodom of Gomorrah to do all those years ago. And it's exactly what the enemy of God wants people of the world to do today. Don't follow the way of the world. Do what Jesus said. He said, follow me. Let's pray.